So happy, friends. Check, check, check. All right. Hey, welcome, everybody. All right. Let's go, y'all. Hey, come on. Snag a seat. Does everybody have a seat in the room? Yes. I love it. Man, what a... Uh, this is awesome. It's a blast. Um, thank you guys uh, for coming out tonight. You all survived the freeze. Jeez Louise, it was like negative 30 wind chill. So thank you for, for coming, even when it's chilly. Um, hey, if I have not met you yet, my name is Josh. I'm the Young Adults Pastor here. Um, yeah, and it's a joy. It's a joy to get to be with you guys. Wow. Man, I'm, I'm sorry. My, my head is still, honestly, just kind of like, like swirling from that worship set. Um, Man, even just like, like as we're coming to the end, right, singing and confessing that Jesus is the center and that Jesus is the heart and Jesus is our hope and that he's everything. And from my heart to the heaven, Jesus be the center. Um, man, will you welcome the Holy Spirit with me? Um, if you even just want to open up your hands, just, uh, I think anytime there's humility, uh, it just really gets God's attention. Um, and so we just ask Holy Spirit that you come tonight. Holy Spirit, will you come tonight? Lord, I pray that you would, that you would speak to us. Lord, I pray that you would uh, come and reveal the face of God to us tonight. Jesus, we want to see you. Lord, I, I just put the words of that song in my, in my mouth. that We want you and nothing else. God, we've come here tonight because, uh, because the things that the world has promised would give us satisfaction have come up empty, and you are the only thing that gives true life. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fall on us tonight and reveal Jesus. Lord, I pray the words of John. I pray, Lord, that even as we believe in you, Lord, that streams of living water would come out from us today. Lord, that to, uh, to nourish and strengthen and encourage and bring your people to your feet, Jesus. To bring your people into your presence, Jesus. Lord, that's what we want. That's what we're after. Lord, we come into the throne room with confidence because our high priest, King Jesus, has gone before us behind the veil and we have a hope that is deeper than death. So Holy Spirit, come. Would you lead me? Would you lead us? I pray that you would equip us tonight to come before you with confidence. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, all of young adults said, amen and amen. Hey, here in a sec, we're going to jump into um, a, a sermon, an introduction on some spiritual disciplines. We're in a sermon series called Abide, right? Last week we talked about how we are um, abiding in Jesus, how the invitation, right, is to come and be formed into his image and to rest in contentment and intimacy with him. And we can do these things, right, through spiritual disciplines. And so tonight we're going to be beginning our spiritual disciplines series talking about rest in Sabbath. But before we do that, I want to just kind of um, present something to you, something that's been stirring in my heart for a long time that I'm really excited to get to share with you guys. A big part of my story and Ellie and I's story um, is that over the years, the Lord has um, faithfully planted us with certain people at certain times, right? When we come to follow Jesus, uh, we come to him maybe like a, a part um, we, we're, we're not a part of the family of God, but then we come in and we say yes to him, and all of a sudden we get invited into this big, dynamic family that is the church, and we get to walk alongside of one another. And over the years, Ellie and I have been planted in, whether it's a small group or relationships with just a few different people, but we've been marked 
um, really by the church discipling us, by the people of God coming into our lives and walking with us through different things in our lives and in our stories. And so literally from the moment that I stepped into this kind of context with you guys, however many months ago, um, my heart and my mind, I've just been constantly asking the question, how, how do we do this together, right? Like Tuesday nights, this is a beautiful expression and we come and we worship and, uh, and we laugh and it's joyful, right? But the, the truth is, is that you can come every single Tuesday night um, and go out about your life and, and still maybe not be a faithful follower of Jesus, right? We just don't know. And so one of the things that we're going to be launching here at Young Adults, um, and we'll have more information about it for the next handful of weeks, but we're going to be starting this in, in February. Uh, in February, February, we are launching Young Adult Home Groups. Young Adult Home Groups. And the heart behind that is to give us opportunities to get into smaller contexts with one another and with faithful, trusted leaders. So um, take that, put it in your back pocket, think about it. If you're here, if you're hungry for community, um, you'll be hearing a lot more about that. We'll tell you how to sign up, we'll tell you the nights that they are, and we'll go from there. But I just wanted to uh, let you know that that's happening, and we're super excited about it. Sound good? Awesome, awesome. Hey, open up your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to be all over the place. So this is our starting text. If you could throw that up there on the screen. This is the word of the Lord. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. God just created everything with the word of his mouth. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. It's really funny being a dad and getting to like interact with little people again. Just how differently, like different stages of our lives we respond to rest Right, like think about this for a second, right? If you're with a little kid, any like imposition of rest on their lives, like just sit down for a second, right? They're like, like they rebel against it and they're like, I just need to live life to the fullest and go, right? And then we kind of grow and we get into like middle school and high school and like we go and we hang out with our friends on the weekends. Then we get to college and we're just exhausted all the time. How many of you guys just pulled all-nighters in college? There it is. I never pulled an all-nighter. Praise God. But, um, but right, we, then we we're like... We graduate and we get into life and we get into work and, and all of a sudden, like, I just wish that someone would come to me and say, hey, guess what? You get to take a two-hour nap today and just, like, just like nail it in from, and are there any nappers in the room? Y'all, napping is, a, <laughs> talking about spiritual disciplines, napping is a spiritual discipline. <laughs> Praise God for naps. Praise God for naps. Right, but I've, I've noticed that as time goes on, we become hungrier and hungrier and hungrier for rest, but it seems more and more and more elusive sometimes, right? We get in these rhythms where, um, like, maybe you started work and you're like, okay, I've got vacation coming in a handful of weeks, and you just work super hard towards vacation, and you go to vacation, and you sit on a beach for a week, and you come back, and you're like, I guess I'm kind of rested, but you're just right back in the groove and right back in the grind, and, and have you noticed um, have you noticed even the way that like, that, like, advertisers take advantage of this? Like, how many of you guys, like, when we were little, like, the advertisements that caught your attention, like, they were, like, the, the crazy 
flashing lights and toy ads. But now today, right, I'm like looking online and all of a sudden like a pop-up comes for like a cruise and I just spend five minutes looking at this boat. And I just, and I like my eyes glaze over and I'm thinking about like, man, it'd be nice to sit by a pool for a little while, right? And then I, I catch myself and I'm like, I'm just so exhausted, right? We, we live at a pace, most of us, most of the time, where it seems like we're always trying to catch up on rest, get to rest, work for the weekend in order to somehow be okay. And I think it just points to a, a problem, right, an issue that we have, and it's an issue um, that God has a solution to, and it's called Sabbath. It's called Sabbath. That word literally uh, in Hebrew, it's Shabbat. It just means just stop. It just means to stop, to rest, to take what you're holding and just to put it down for a little while. And now some of you guys, if you're like me, you might walk into the room tonight and be like, all right, spiritual disciplines, new year, right? I'm, I'm ready. I've got my, like, my calendar. Like, I know where I'm going to fit in, like, different things. Just tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. But I think for most of us, right, in the 21st century kind of context, in order to do anything that's going to be meaningful for us, we just first need to stop, right? What we need first is not more and more and more and more. It's to take a breath so that we can hear the voice of God and experience the spirit of God speaking to us. And let me just say at the beginning, I'm going to come back to this at the end, um, I think rest and like Sabbath, there's a temptation here for us that it's like we could kind of like take this as a trendy self-help, check the box, right? Like I'm not going to be overworked. Like I'm, like I'm just self-care, self-care, self-care. And that's not a bad thing. But let me just say with any spiritual discipline, the purpose and at the center is King Jesus. And so as we're talking about Sabbath rest, I'm not just trying to give you tips and tricks to be less stressed in your week. I'm trying to invite you into a kind of stillness that centers your whole being on King Jesus. That's the heart of this. That's the heart of where we're going tonight. And so even as we begin, um, I want to present Sabbath in a certain light to us, in a certain, um, in a certain way. Um, because, because Sabbath is a gift, God gave us rest so that we can receive it as a gift. And so tonight, I'm just going to tell you where we're going. We're going to talk, first of all, about how Sabbath is a gift to mankind. It's a gift to you and it's a gift to me. We'll progress on, talk about what Sabbath does in the world around us. We'll talk about how to Sabbath, and then we'll just call it a day. So that's, that's where we're going tonight. Very beginning, Sabbath is a gift to mankind. There's this um, really interesting story in Mark chapter 2. And um, the Jews, right, in this first century context, they were uh, rigorous, to say the least, right? They were all about Sabbath. They were literally like, if you go back and if you read the first century sources, these guys would get into, like, extensive debates about how many steps you could take on the Sabbath. And it's like if you took one too many steps, they're like, oh, you're working. Like, you can't do that on the Sabbath. Like, these guys were, like, down to, like, the, the, the T here. Um, and so Jesus shows up in this context and he's walking with his guys on a, on a Sabbath day, and they're hungry, and so they pick these grains of, uh, of wheat in a field, and they get confronted about it. Where one, uh, one of the Pharisees looks at them and says, you're working, you're, you're, you're harvesting. And this is what Jesus says. He says, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. 
So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What's he saying here? He was speaking a word to a culture that had enslaved themselves to the idea of Sabbath. Right? They had said that, um, that, that mankind is underneath the, the Sabbath. And what Jesus is doing, right, he gives them this whole phrase. Uh, he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And that second, that second clause, right, not man for the Sabbath, that's what they needed to hear in, the, in that first century context. I think for us tonight, we need to hear the first part of that. The Sabbath was made for man. God made Sabbath rest for you as a gift to you in order to make your life work better and to work well. We need Sabbath because it slows us down to delight in the good things of God's good world. We need Sabbath because it slows us down to delight in the good things of God's good world. My parents moved here to Colorado when I was um, like three years old. And this is maybe give you like a little context for my family. Um, my parents moved here specifically for the mountains because they're like, we just need to hike all the time. Before um, my parents had me and my brother, they literally lived in uh, like, I think it was somebody's backyard, but it was technically like the woods. They just like camped for three months because they thought it was fun. Is anyone like that in this room? Like, do you like camping? I love being outside, y'all, but I don't, I don't actually like, sleep. I don't like sleeping on the ground. Like, you wake up in the morning, you're like, this is the worst. Why did I decide this? My parents came here when, um, when I was three. And one of the first things that they did was get my brother and I hiking. And so we're hiking, and, and I hiked my first 14er when I was seven years old. Okay? And we hiked Mount Harvard, and it was like a three-day backpacking trek. And I had this little backpack on my back. And my brother and I had our little stuffed animals, and we'd like, they would, like, poke out of the back of the backpacks, and we're going. And I remember being enthusiastic about it for about the first 30 seconds. And then I'm walking, and I'm like, wow, this is a, this is a long mountain, right? And my feet start hurting, and I, like, and I start just, like, sweating, and I'm like, I hate this. I hate this, right? I hate everything about this. And I remember my mom every now and again, because she's like, she, I mean, she loves hiking. She wants to get her kids out. She'd be like, Josh, look at that mountain. Isn't it beautiful? And I'd be like, I hate you. <laughs> like, like, don't tell me about the mountain. You know what's happening to my body right now? I can't look past my feet, right? And what, what had happened is that I was, just, I was just in the grind, right? And I made it up the mountain and made it down the mountain. And I didn't want to hike again for about 25 years. That's not true. I love hiking now, right? But it's, it's been a process. But one of the things that I've learned as I've grown is that in order to experience and appreciate the beauty of where you are, you kind of have to look past the grind. You have to be able to take a moment and just take a breath and look around and see where you are and see the good things that God has given and presented into your life. Now, the Sabbath, right, people have been doing this for about 4,000 years, right? This is, this is long. And even, even before that, right, if you consider the fact that God himself rested at the moment of creation or seven days in. Um, but every Friday night, and they, they'll still do it today, and it's beautiful, um, Jewish families, so Jewish Sabbath is from Friday evening to a Saturday evening. And they get their families together, and they sit down at a table, Right, and they, they work all day earlier so they can prepare the food. And so they don't have to be cooking or scrambling or cleaning. And they, and they set out like the best food on the table. 
And they go to their pantry and they take down a really, really good bottle of wine and they set it there on the table. And they sit down with their children and with their, their husband and wife and their family and they're, they're all sitting there together. And then they start to pray this prayer that has been prayed for the last 4,000 years. And they say, blessed are you, Lord our God, right, who brought forth the fruit of the vine. And then they'll take a sip of the wine and they'll savor it and they'll look at one another and they'll say, blessed are you, Lord our God, who brought forth the bread for the eater. Right? And then they'll eat the bread, they'll eat the food that's been prepared for them. And then they'll look at their children and they'll start laying their hands and blessing them. And they'll say, we bless you. May you be like Aaron and may you be like Moses. And they'll bless their daughters and may you be like Miriam. And then husbands and wives will come together. And it's this moment for them where all of the busy and all of the full, it, it just it just stops, and they can look at what's actually right in front of them. We have some rhythms like this. Maybe they're a little more few and far between, right? I think about Christmas morning for me. Like for me this year, the hours of 8 a.m. until 12 p.m. on Christmas Day were like my favorite four hours of the entire year. Right, so we wake my little girl up. Ellie and I are sitting there. I've got a warm cup of coffee and we're sipping and Eden is opening presents. And Ellie and I are looking at each other and we're like, my hand is on her back. It's just a, oh, it's blessed are you, Lord, our God, right, who brought forth coffee from the coffee pot this morning. And, and blessed are you, Lord, our God, right, who, who gave us good gifts to give away to our baby girl, right? It's, it's a moment of, oh, it's breath and it's delight and it's enjoyment. I find that most of the time the pace of our world actually opposes delight. That, that most of the time we, we are so enslaved to accumulating things that we think will give us pleasure and give us delight and give us relief that we oftentimes forget to breathe and receive the good things that God has already put in our hands. Sabbath is a gift. It's an invitation for us to relish good friends, good people, good family. It's a gift to you. We need Sabbath. Second reason why we need Sabbath, it's a gift to us. We need Sabbath because it realigns us to the way that the universe actually works. They're um, so fascinating in the Old Testament, right? The Lord, um, or there, there, are, there are Sabbath commandments. So the first time we see the Sabbath commanded is in the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus. It shows up again in the book of Deuteronomy, almost the same, but for different reasons. And there's some important differences that we'll talk about in a sec. But let's read uh, the passage from, from um, the Ten Commandments together. This is Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. It says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Lord, in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. How many, okay, can we, can we have a moment of vulnerability, maybe, small? How many of you guys are actually doing like a diet for New Year's? 
not a single person? Or maybe you just don't want to say. Uh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <I> mean, <laughs> you don't want to own it. That's like, I, I mean, uh, how many of you guys have done like a keto diet in the past or something? Like if you tried, you've tried these different diets, right? When I was in high school and I heard about like keto or like vegan, I was like, that is the dumbest thing in the world. I am going to eat my dozen donuts and my metabolism is going to take care of it like no problem, right? And I'm going to be fine. And then time goes on, right? And now I'm like pushing 30 and I'm like, what's that diet again, right? Like keto, paleo, vegan, like I'll, like I'll do it, I'll, I'll try whatever. But the, the one that makes me laugh is, is the paleo diet. Have any of you tried the paleo diet? Yeah, okay. It's like there's this funny thing about it where like, like you get these people who are so into it and they're like, we just need... We just need to get back to humanity's roots. We just need to get back to like, like the pure, like caveman diet. And I'm like, I don't feel like that was a very good time to be alive. Like, why are we trying to go back to that particular time frame, right? But one of the things that's it's interesting about it is they're, they're trying, they're like pulling on this thread that I think is actually kind of helpful to see, right? It's this, it's this inclination to be like, what is the way of life that actually works, Right? It's like what's, what's like the, the heart of, of humanity and the way that we eat best that's going to be the most original for us. I think one of the things that we see in a commandment of Sabbath, and I think it's so interesting here. He says, keep the Sabbath. Why do you keep the Sabbath? Because the Lord your God rested. Because there's some part of the world around us, literally, that, that if, we, if we take this as truth, that rest is actually written into the fiber of the universe. That stopping, setting your work down, coming to the end of a long week and saying, I'm not going to pick that up again for another 24 hours, that that's actually the way the universe was designed. It's actually the way that God crafted things. C.S. Lewis has this quote. He says, you can't go against the grain of the universe and not expect to get splinters. Right, I think, about, um, I think about studies and things that are coming out. It's just like common sense, but people do studies about it, and it's kind of interesting. But uh, did you know that you need to sleep? Right? <laughs> Who would have thought? But they've actually done studies, and there's this really rare kind of genetic condition that's really pretty tragic and heartbreaking where only a, there's a small amount of people who um, there's this condition where whenever it comes on, they literally cannot sleep. They literally cannot shut their mind down. And after a period of three to six months, in almost every single case that they've seen, these people slip into body failure and they die. Rest is something that is, is intrinsic to who we are, right? God has crafted this into us. We have body rhythms. We have rhythms of rest. We have rhythms of work. And so it's a gift to us because it realigns us to the way the universe works. It's to take a breath, take a moment. Lastly here... We need Sabbath because it reconnects us to God. A rabbi named Abraham Heschel has this line. He says, six days a week we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth. On the Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity that's planted in the soul. The world has our hands, but our soul belongs to someone else. The world has our hands, but our soul belongs to someone else. Now, we can talk a lot about what a theology of work looks like because Scripture gives us a good theology of work, right? That we're called to work and to labor and to be fruitful and to invest and to produce, but we're also called to rest. 
to be still and to reconnect with God. This word holy, right, says the Lord kept the Sabbath day and set it aside as holy. In the context, that means set apart, sanctified. We could also see it as, um, as God owns that day. The, uh, the writer, Abraham Heschel, in his other lines where he says, talks about how we experience one another in space, right? We're like, we're like, we're right across from one another, but we experience God in time. We experience him in a day. That there's a separate day where we breathe and it's set aside to reconnect with God, even as we're talking about abiding. And over the next six, seven weeks, right? Like next week, um, we're going to be talking about solitude and what prayerful solitude looks like. The week after that, we're going to be talking about rhythms of community and confession. After that, we're going to be talking about intercession and prayer and scripture reading and meditation, all things that we act on and participate in. If we're going to abide and do those things and connect with Jesus, we need to give ourselves space. We need to give ourselves rhythm to it, right? How many of you all would say that you have... (laughs) free time like you have like an extra two hours every day to just do things the guys in the back but nobody else <laughs> right it's like it's, we don't have an excess of time and so we have to have rhythms for this the sabbath is a gift to mankind let me shift gears here and talk a little bit about how sabbath is more than just a gift to us but it's actually a testimony to the world around us sabbath is a testimony to the world i said that there were two different passages that have a commandment for the Sabbath. We read the first. Now let's read the second together. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. It says, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Very similar to the first. As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Very similar, right? He goes on and talks about it's a Sabbath for everyone, for you and your children and your servants and your animals. But then he says this, and notice how it's different. He says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. In the first verse, he says, in Exodus, he says, keep the Sabbath because God did it. But in this, he says, keep the Sabbath because you used to be a slave and now you're not. So rest, and so stop working. What's he saying here? The world needs Sabbath as resistance to an order that grinds men into dust. Let me tell you this in some other words. He's saying that you used to be enslaved in Egypt to a system of being and of living and of working and of breathing and of dying that that grinds men into the dust. Right? Many times in the scriptures, it talks about it being the iron furnace. You used to live in an iron furnace where you spent your days in toil so that other men could benefit. You spent your days in toil so that this system could work and could keep moving and could be productive. Says, but you're not in the iron furnace anymore. Let me say this. The spirit behind Egypt, right? we can look back and say, Okay, nobody's enslaved, right? We're not like, like we, don't, we don't have that system anymore. But let me say this, that the system, the way of being that Egypt embodies infects all of humankind, and especially 21st century America. 
There's a way of being and of moving and existing in this world that actually we, we think that it's going to produce benefits. And maybe it does for some, right? It's a, it's a thing where we look ahead and we have these intense um, goals, things that we're aspiring towards, success and abundance and more and more. And we labor and we labor and we labor and it grinds you into the dirt, not the way the people of God live. This text tells us, it says, you were a slave, but you're not anymore, so rest. So stop, so stop working. I think some of us in this room, and, and I, I have been here, friends, is that the idea of, of stopping, right? So the Sabbath is... 24 hours, you don't pick up anything. You don't pick up work. You don't pick up extra shifts. You don't, um, like, clean your house. Like you, don't, like, you don't do housework. You don't, like, make budgets and plans. You don't, um, like, like you, you don't do anything. You set it down. Some of us are so, are so afraid of not making it. We're so afraid of either not having enough. We're so afraid of not reaching our goals. We're so afraid of not becoming what we want to become that it, we can't set things down. Because ultimately at its heart, an act of Sabbath and an act of rest is an act of trust. It says that six days I will labor, but on the seventh day I will put everything into God's hands. Did you notice what he says in this chapter? He says, for the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. Any gain that you have in your life is a gift from God. And you work and we participate and we experience with God and we engage with him in what he's doing. But we Sabbath in order to say that, God, I am beholden to you and not to idols of success and not to idols of accomplishment. We Sabbath to say that I am not a slave in Egypt anymore. We Sabbath to say that my hope is in Jesus. And it's actually a testimony to the world around us. And the world actually needs us to live in this particular way. Last point here is that the world needs Sabbath to point to a coming kingdom in which the whole earth will live at rest. If you read the, the Bible, particularly the Hebrew scriptures, you look at Jesus, there are are so many moments where someone or the people of God will do an action and it points to something that's coming. Like the prophets do this all the time and they do like weird, crazy stuff. Like weird, crazy stuff. But the church still does this today in a lot of ways, right? I think about different prophetic acts even that the church does today. Um, Ellie and I lived in Tulsa for five years before we moved here. I've talked about Tulsa a lot at this point. Um, but if you know anything about Tulsa is that it has a really, uh, it has a very dark racial history, right? And about 100 years ago in the early 1920s, there was something called the Tulsa Race Massacre that happened. And in this uh, series of a handful of days, a, a white gang from southern Tulsa um, essentially went in with machine guns into northern Tulsa, which was a predominantly black community, um, and they murdered and displaced hundreds uh, of, of black families and burned their businesses to the ground. Like, it's a travesty. And it happened in the 1920s in Tulsa. 
And we're there, and so Ellie and I are there as the 100-year anniversary of this event is happening, or is approaching. And this was right around um, when COVID happened and when George Floyd was murdered. And so it didn't happen right at the same time, but, but the, 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 like the, the tension in the city was palpable, right? People are angry, and they're discouraged, and they're, like, and they're reacting in all these different ways, and rightfully so. And I remember that there was this, uh, this movement in the city of black churches and white churches, and they said, we just need to pray for God's mercy and remember what happened and move for reconciliation into the future. And so um, they had a, a, like a prayer march in downtown Tulsa. Um, and I remember going to this prayer march, and we're walking in downtown Tulsa, and there's black believers and white believers, and it's a beautiful moment. And I'm, like, feeling very uncomfortable because I was raised in northern Colorado Springs. But, like, like I'm there, and I'm like, what is happening? But, but I remember just watching the beauty of this moment, that while the world is literally tearing itself to pieces over legitimate pain and legitimate issues, the church of Jesus Christ is coming together in a moment of unity to proclaim that the kingdom of God that is coming one day is going to be a kingdom in which all men and women and people and black and white and brown and all different nations and tongues will gather around one King Jesus and will give him our whole hearts and our whole minds and all of our worship and all of our lives forever and ever and ever, amen. And the church is there in this moment as a prophetic declaration to the chaos of culture. That's who we are. That's the kind of stock that we belong to, friends. We do prophetic acts that look confusing to the world around us, things that don't make sense. And so as we're talking about Sabbath, right, we live in a culture that says, um, we, we, live in a, we live in a low-key meritocracy, right? It's like you hustle, you work hard, you pull yourselves up by your bootstraps, and then you'll make it. And there's nothing wrong with hard work. But what we do is we take that mantra and we make it an idol. But what the people of God do is that we say, the coming kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ is a kingdom in which all of the earth is going to be at rest. The coming kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ is one in which the seventh day that God began so many years ago is going to come into its crescendo climax of rest and of peace. We point to a kingdom of generosity, not of scarcity. We say the coming kingdom of Jesus, there will be more than enough. We point to a kingdom of joy above indulgence, true joy. We point to a kingdom of blessing and not cursing, of self-giving love, not crippling competition, of holiness unto the Lord, not conformity unto our culture. And so when we Sabbath, we point ahead and we say, I'm going to rest because this is what the coming kingdom is like. And this is the way that God has crafted me and crafted us as a kingdom. Sabbath is a prophetic image. And friends, the world needs it. Like let me just say, like your, your community needs it. The people at your workplace, they need to see you Sabbath. They need to see you rest because of what it points towards. Because the kingdom of Jesus is coming and it is a kingdom of rest. You with me? So how do we do it? That's the question. My heart and my hope has been to paint you a picture of what we're doing, why you want to do this, what's even at stake, but how do we live Sabbath lives? I want to give you two different kind of overarching encouragements. And so this is where we get real practical. This is where you're like, okay, like 
Like, this is, this is coaching time. Go and try this this week, okay? This is where we're going. How do we live Sabbath lives? First, we cultivate weekly rhythms. We cultivate weekly rhythms, right? We look at our week, and we have rhythms of work, and we have rhythms of rest, and most of us probably live uh, and work in a rhythm, right, where you have a weekend, and praise God for that, right? That's a gift. And so we can look and say, okay, there's weekly rhythms of rest. John Mark Comer um, wrote a really helpful book on Sabbath, and um, it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which you can go pick it up. It's helpful. Because uh, a couple quotes that we're going to visit. One is, on the Sabbath, all we do is rest and worship. All we do is rest and worship, where we take one 24-hour period, right? And you can do this kind of at any point that works for you. What I find helpful is to look at an evening to an evening, right? That's how uh, even like the, the Hebrew Bible looks at days. It's like, like Friday night at sundown to Saturday night at sundown is traditionally how it's been done. And you ask, what does it look like for me to rest? And what does it look like for me to worship? And what I love about this is that it's completely up to you and Jesus, right? I'm not going to stand up here and tell you what my Sabbath looks like and have you do exactly that. Because for some of you, that won't be restful and that won't be what God is calling you into. John has this other um, wonderful quote I just want to read for us. He says, what could I do for 24 hours that would fill my soul with a deep throbbing joy that would make me spontaneously combust with wonder, awe, gratitude, and praise. Let me just say this, right? Sabbath looks different depending on your season, on where you're at, and on the things that you enjoy. For me, one of the most restful things in the world is to have a little bit of like smattering of people and a smattering of alone time. Like, like for me, like staying inside all day long, um, just like on the couch, I will literally go insane at like five o'clock. Like I will be bouncing off the walls and I will wake up the next day a mean, angry person. Right, just because like, like for me, I'm like, I just got to do something. I've got to get out. Ellie can attest, this Monday when it was so cold and we were just inside, it was a hard day. I was just like, by the end of the day, I was like, what are we doing? What can I do? Get me outside, right? So for, for me, it's like, if I can get alone in the mountains, and then if I can come back and eat good food, and if I can see some friends and we can laugh together and have good food and good drink and enjoy the time with one another, that's, that's a beautiful day. Right? Sabbath is about rest and Sabbath is about worship. And that can look very different for many of us. Let me tell you a couple things, though, that I think um, will sabotage our Sabbath. Um, I think in our modern culture, we have some different, whoa, uh, we have some different perceptions of rest. So for some of you, right, you hear the word rest and, like, maybe your mind automatically goes to things that you do for rest. Like, like maybe I'm going to, like, scroll like TikTok, or I'm going to scroll Instagram, or spend a lot of time on my cell phone, or my device, or just watching TV. Um, let me just say that I find that one of the things that actually robs us of rest are the things that we think are the most restful, right? Like, how many of you actually feel more rested after binging 12 hours of Netflix? Like, like you come to the end, and it feels like an accomplishment. Like, I'm sweating. I'm like, gosh, right? So, and entertainment. Honestly, entertainment is something that can rob us of our Sabbath, not setting down the work hustle. There's an external Sabbath, but we also have to mirror it on the inside, right? If we can set down um, and trust God with the things that are happening in our real lives, our work, our busy. Um, 
And then, and then kind of even a, even a last thing is if you can avoid it, um, have a day where you don't do household errands. Like don't, don't be like, I'm going to Sabbath today. And then like you, you fit all of your non-work work into that day. Right? It's like there's work that we don't get paid for. It's just called being a good roommate and being alive. And it's like, like, like don't, don't put all of that on the Sabbath because that will, that will rob what you're doing. So we cultivate weekly rhythms, and that's a lot of you what we've been talking about. But then I, I want to introduce even kind of a separate idea here because we don't just cultivate weekly rhythms, but we can actually cultivate daily rhythms. We can cultivate daily rhythms. Um, a renowned... Uh, Hebrew Bible scholar, his name is Walter Brueggemann. He wrote a book on Sabbath and he said this. He said, people who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. So when we, when we learn how to rest, it's not like we just like run, 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 and then stop on Sabbath. And then go and then run, 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 and then stop on Sabbath. But there's actually, we develop Sabbath rhythms, rhythms of rest. And I, I might not even call this Sabbath necessarily, but what I would call it I would call it embracing rhythms of stillness, um, embracing rhythms of solitude, embracing rhythms um, against hurry and of going slow. And so how do we do this? First is, it's just so simple, go slow. Find opportunities in your day to go slow. Let me tell you what that means. Um, this, is, this is a true story. Um, pick the slow lane when you're driving on the highway. And just chill at 65 miles an hour and take a breath and just enjoy it. I, okay, this, and this, this is true. So I literally, this was like two weeks ago. And I was feeling some busyness on the inside. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to drive so slow. And I'm like in the right lane. And I'm just like cruising along. And I'm cruising along. I'm cruising along. And literally out of nowhere, this freaking truck just like cuts me off. And I'm in that moment, I'm like, peace, Jesus, this is so good. And then he cuts me off, and all of a sudden, I'm like, I hate you. And all of these things are coming out of me that are like all of like the pseudo profanities, right? Because I'm a Christian and a pastor, so I don't curse. But like, but like, I do let him know that I'm angry, even though he can't hear me. And I'm there, and I'm like, Jesus, have mercy on me, right? Like, I need you so badly, right? We <laughs> go slow. <laughs> Go slow. Find rhythms in your day to not fill every single moment with something. To not fill every single moment with, with content. Right? Go on a walk and just walk. Don't listen to a podcast. Go slow. Go slow. Second is find solitude in the busy. Find solitude in the busy. If you look at the course and the history of, of the church and of Christianity, um, there are different movements that are like monastic movements where these guys would come together and they would live in, in, in separate communities, um, but they would orient their lives around rhythms of prayer and fasting and work. And I know none of us are monks or nuns in this room, but one of the things that they would do is that they would set aside in the middle of their work, they would have a morning slot and then a noon slot and then an evening slot where when the bell would ring, they would just stop whatever they did, and it varied based on the community, but they would take a moment to just pray and to be still with the Lord. I think for many of us, this is actually a realistic thing that we could do, to have a moment in the morning where we find some solitude with Jesus and we just breathe, and then set an alarm on your phone 
at like noon or whenever your lunch hour is or whenever you have, it doesn't have to be long, literally five minutes. And let the alarm go off and then just, just breathe for like five minutes. And then when the evening comes, take another five minutes and breathe. If you incorporate rhythms like this into your life, I think you'll find yourself over the long haul being less uh, angsty and always pushing to the next thing and more open to King Jesus. Because when we listen to him, he actually talks to us, praise God, right? Like, so find solitude in the busy. Henry Nouwen said, without solitude, it's virtually impossible to live the spiritual life. You have to find moments to pull away and be with Jesus. Last, last point here in this practical, uh, practical portion is, is purposefully disconnect. Purposefully disconnect. The Barna Group, um, they're this, like this church um, polling. I, I forgot the word for a second. There's a, a church polling group. And what they do is they look at the church and they ask a bunch of questions and then they just basically release data. And it's really helpful if you're looking at where the church is at. They um, release this data that on average 15, so if you're between the ages of 15 and 23, 15 to 23-year-olds consume an average of 2,767 hours of screen content annually. If you divide that out, that's almost four months. That's literally a third of their time, not even just awake time. That's like a third of all time is in front of a screen. Versus that same demographic spends 291 hours annually consuming spiritual content. It's about 12 days. Four months versus 12 days. Now, I'm not up here saying that you need to, like, crush your phone and make it a dumb phone. But what I am saying, what I am saying is that um, if you allow it, one of the most aggressive forces for the degradation of your soul is in your pocket. If you allow it. And so one of the rhythms that we have to become proficient in, you guys, this is a must for us. This is not an option. If you are a faithful follower of Jesus and you want to love him with your whole heart and your whole attention, you must learn to master your device. You must learn to master your screen. And I say this as someone who like consistently does not do a good job at this. Because it's so hard, you guys. Right? Like consistently, like I'll stand up after watching TV for two or three hours and I'm like, well, that was wasted time. I'm going to go to bed and try to do a better job next time. Right, like we're all in this together, but we have to learn and we have to say, uh, we have to, to lean in to this. Purposefully disconnect. Tell your phone what it can and can't do. And, and this is, I feel like this is something that like is sort of trendy. Like how many of you guys have watched the social network and like you like put your phone away for like a day and you're like, I actually want Facebook and Instagram and then it's back, right? This is, this is something that we, we know, we know of, but it's something that I think we just need to keep on talking about. Um, if you kind of summarize all of this together, um, John Ortberg has this quote that John Mark Comer quotes. He says, we just, we just need to ruthlessly eliminate hurry. It's hard to be a loving person if you're a hurried person. Um, one of our pastors, his name is Pastor Lance Coles. He's an absolute legend if you get to meet him. And if they're like, so he'll, he'll take younger pastors aside. And um, one of the things that he'll say pretty consistently, right, so, so if you're a pastor, a Sunday is a work day. So a Sunday for me is a work day. And what I get to do is I get to walk around the lobby and do different tasks, but I get to talk to people. Like people are my job on Sundays, which is such a gift. But one of the things that Pastor Lance will say is he says, he'll say, he'll say walk slow through the lobby. He'll say, go, go slow. 
go easy. Because it's so easy to be, I know what my task is, and I know what my mission is, and I know that I need to get this done. Otherwise, it's not going to get done. But if that's the only thing that's in my heart and my mind, how do I love the person who's right in front of me if I walk right past them and don't make eye contact and listen to their story? It's hard to be a loving person if you're a hurried person. And so as we're talking about rhythms of Sabbath, cultivating weekly rhythms, daily rhythms, let me just summarize all of this for you. God wants to meet you in the rest. And he wants to form your heart. He wants to introduce himself to you in the rest, in the peace. Yeah, as we come to a close, I want to echo something that I started with. I do do think it would be possible for some of us to come and listen to a message like this um, and basically have your takeaway be like, wow, he was excited and he quoted some Bible, but like there's some helpful things for my life and that's great. Um, And you basically could have gotten the same thing out of a 10-minute TED Talk. (laughs) I want to reiterate again to you that the center of every single spiritual discipline, the center of the universe is King Jesus. We confessed it at the beginning, fully God of fully God, right, who came and hung on a cross for you and for me. The Gospel of Matthew, it recounts a similar story to one that we read earlier already, right, the the one in the grain fields and on the Sabbath. And Jesus looks at them and he says, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. What's so interesting, right, is if you backtrack, if you backpedal to just like a couple verses before, you hit Matthew 11. This is what he says. Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is And then the next, literally the next verse, there's a moment about Sabbath. And Jesus locks in and says, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. The only way that you can have true rest is from the Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord of the Sabbath means that he owns it. It belongs to him. But he's not stingy with it. He's not holding it back from you. He's not holding rest back. He stands with an invitation. He says, come to me if you're weary and if you're heavy laden. So if you find yourself tonight here and you say, I am tired. Like I am tired. Life's change and transition and work and going to college and coming and now getting a job and trying to find friends and trying to be a, a, a good roommate and a good son and a good daughter and maybe finding a boyfriend or a girlfriend and all these things, right? Like, like if you're here and you're just like, I am tired. And hear the invitation of Jesus for you tonight. Come to Jesus. Come to the Lord of the Sabbath because he is gentle and he is lowly in heart and he is humble and you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls. So even for us, as we are taking some practical invitations, right? I want to give you, I want to give you a practical invitation this week. One thing you can do this week, if it works for your schedule, if it works for where you're at, here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to set aside a 24-hour period where all you do is rest and worship. Just give it a shot. And it might go great and it might be awkward, but then try it again next week. Take a 24-hour period where all you do is rest and worship. But in that, know that you're not just setting aside 24 hours for self-help. You're setting aside 24 hours to consecrate your life unto King Jesus and to come to him and let him give you rest and give you nourishment. Would you stand with me tonight? If you're in this room, uh, here, here's how I want to pray for you. Yeah, I think I'm going to ask you to, to, to respond here tonight. If you're in this room um, and you're just like, I am gassed, like I am tired and I don't feel... I don't feel rested. I don't feel like I can do another week or another two weeks, another month or another six months and do it well. Would you just raise your hand for me? If you're in this room and you feel exhausted, would you raise your hand? I'm gonna pray for you. Thank you. If you can just wanna take that hand lifted up and even just hold it out in front of the Lord like this, just even in, in a, an open-handed atmosphere of receiving. Because I think the Lord has a gift he wants to give you tonight. That's rest. And so King Jesus, the maker of heaven and earth, by whom all things were made, who crafted the heavens by the word, the one who rested, who was still, Lord of the Sabbath, would you give them rest? Lord of the Sabbath, I pray that you would fill them up with a deep sense of stillness, and abiding love and contentment and rest. I pray that they would find rest for their souls. I pray that they would see the eyes of Jesus tonight, that they would see you as the, the, the God who is, uh, who is inviting them to connection, who is inviting them to come. So Holy Spirit, I do, I pray that you would touch each one of them in the name of Jesus. Would you touch them, Lord? Would you restore them, restore their hearts, restore their minds, restore their souls, restore, restore their bodies? Jesus, I pray that every ounce of fatigue and weariness and exhaustion would be pulled away in the name of Jesus. And that in its place, that they would find themselves connected deeply to you and to your, your energy, your strength, your grace. So give them peace, Jesus. Give them peace, Jesus. I ask this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Friends, we're going to worship the Lord together. And even as we, as we worship, we're going to sing a song about, uh, about abiding, being present in Jesus. I want, even as you sing, I want you to keep your ears open. Because I think the Lord wants to speak some things to some of us. He wants to talk to you. There are things that he wants to say to you. And so let's worship and sing, but let's also listen to him tonight. I'll come back up in a moment to, to, to finish this out. Let's sing.